Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1402, with guest Sumit Birde. Recorded Thursday, January 12th, 2017. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, I'm still over in Santa Cruz at uh, Falafel Software in a room, so it's going to be a little bouncy for me today. Sorry about that. Not to worry. How are you doing, Mr. Campbell? I'm well. I'm enjoying engineering. Yeah, that's you right. Know, I, normally, you do this, right. but uh, I've got, I dragged out, you remember the uh, secondary inspection, that little rollaway bag? Yep. So those machines, the little AOPA machines, I had six of them. Right. They've been sitting in that bag for the past couple of years. I haven't touched them. Yeah. And uh, realizing I wanted two separate Skype instances and wanted to just wire it separately. I've been playing with, we've traded with those Latte Pandas. Yep. But you need a good audio line in and line out. Yeah, so these good. MP, these little AOPA machines, they're perfect. And uh, I'm super happy with the way this thing works. So uh, hopefully the the audience likes it too because it's feels good to me. Very cool, Richard. Well, in keeping with this week's trend of gadgets, uh, yesterday's show, we talked about the Kingston one terabyte fire stick or whatever it's Because who doesn't want a USB key that holds a terabyte? One USB. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I used to be happy I had a gig up my nose. Now I have a terabyte up my nose. Well, in keeping with that tradition, here's something else I heard about through the CES channel. Uh, so roll the music. <laughs> All right, man. I'm. I have high expectations because that terabyte was killer. You probably already know about this, Richard. And if you don't, I am going to feel very smug. Ooh. This is a uh, Linksys Velop or Velop. I'm not sure how you say, but it's the first true whole home Wi-Fi modular mesh Wi-Fi system. For the home. For the home. I did not know about this. Well done, sir. So mesh Wi-Fi means instead of having one router tucked in a room somewhere and the further away you get from it, the worse your signal gets, you put up these little beacons all over the house and they just work. It's just a nice mesh network. And this is normal in businesses, but right. they're just too expensive for the home. So clearly Linksys has figured out how to make it more economical. Right. I don't know how much it costs. I haven't gone that far, but I did go to the website, which you can get to at 1402.pwop.me. This is really cool, man. I I mean, I'm already running commercial-grade Wi-Fi because, you know, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, this, you, you know, the idea that it would just be trivial for you to put a couple of extra access points in. 
Yeah. Uh, that's that's cool. Uh, looks like it starts at 200 bucks a piece, which is not cheap Wi-Fi. Yeah, I see that. It's not bad. And the three-pack is 500 bucks. But, there you know, you if you work from home and your home is your office, it's worth it. Well, you and I talk about this all the time, right? It's like you look at a monitor every day, spend some money on the monitor. It makes right. a big difference. Good good keyboards, good mice, good Wi-Fi. I totally agree. Yep. Well found. So that's what I got, brother. Nice one, dude. Who's talking to us? Grab the comment off of show 1295, which we did back in May of 2016 with none other than Troy Hunt. Because, uh, you know, let's scare ourselves with security. Yeah. And I know we're going to go down the security path today. And Troy's always good for that. Robert Mattingly wrote this great comment. He says, thanks for another outstanding show. I always enjoy the security discussions in particular. One thing I keep coming back to in all of this is our culture in IT. And I think he means not just operations, but development and so forth. Uh, as a .NET developer of just three years experience, I've already seen practices which are unacceptable at many companies. Hooba dooba. We've all probably heard some variant of, we need to get it in production and we'll fix that hole in the next release. Right. Or, that's for the executives to decide. <laughs> and then nobody makes a decision, right? That's a hardware repair. <laughs> <laughs> there is a genuine problem in our community with poor practices and in some case, attitudes. Mm. Oh, and SQL injection is not only a brownfield problem. Mm. Okay, true. It's still happening. Oh, my. My, my, my. Abusing people for their mistakes benefits no one, but we need to be prepared to constantly engage others in the community on the subject of security and in a helpful way. A lot of highly experienced developers don't even understand the basics of SQL injection or don't think about it. I worked in one shop where the rallying cry was, stored procedures are secure. Mm. In another shop, I was told, it was on the intranet, so we weren't worried about security, mm. ignoring the fact that hackers will sometimes get jobs at institutions just for that reason. Yep. Code gets copy and pasted, as Troy points out. Hmm. Do you remember, Richard, when it was common practice to have lots and lots of different accounts on the SQL server and then expose the uh, applications to this directly to the SQL server through the network and yeah. what, a, what a pain that was and how you just don't hear about that anymore because most databases are behind a firewall and, uh, and, and the only thing that's accessing them is a is a, a, a web server. Exactly. Well, and, and even a, a whole data access layer. In fact, that segs nicely in the rest of Robert's comment because he says, I respectfully need to disagree with Troy about his comment advocating ORMs to prevent SQL injection is much like advocating stored procedures. It's an effective solution right up until the edge case where you need to go beyond the standard API and write a query. Mm. And and Troy, and he went back and forth on this a bit because it's like, you know, that gives you an 80% or 90% case. Yeah. You still have to, you're always going to have to deal with 10%, but why go with the 100% exposure when you can knock down 90 of it right off right. the bat? Yeah. But additionally, Troy hits it exactly when he says that getting the knowledge out is the answer. The script kiddies will find these tools, and too many developers don't know how vulnerable they are. And you know, Troy's always the guy who says, hack yourself. Right. Security shouldn't be an uncomfortable discussion. It should just be a matter, of course, in any development, and learning to write SQL should automatically imply learning about SQL injection. You don't learn to drive a car without learning about seatbelts and turn signals. Yeah. That's a good line. I like that. Yep. Uh, Robert? You got nothing but agreement over here, dude. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm more on Troy's side as far as the RM's concerned is like that does knock down a whole bunch of issues, but it's not a panacea. You still have to be diligent and understand that whenever you're writing a query, you've got to 
clean up your inputs and, and, you know, be careful. Nobody wants to be little Bobby Tables. <laughs> How's that for a reference? You like that reference? I like that reference. <laughs> XKCD rocks. We miss you, Randall Monroe. Yeah. Great callback. Oh, I miss that guy. Yeah. We had such a good interview with him. We got to find him. We again. had a great time. I think he had a good time with us, too. I hope so. But he's a, he's a shy guy. Yes. Uh, so, Robert, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We parameterize them for your protection. <laughs> <laughs> Type safety for your protection. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's bring on our guest today. Uh, Sumed Burday is a group program manager in Microsoft Azure, currently focused on data protection. Speaking of data protection, mm -hmm. over the last 10 years at Microsoft, Sumed has led PM and engineering teams building a variety of widely used products in and around security, including Azure Key Vault, and parts of Azure Information Protection, RMS, Active Directory Certificate Services, PKI, and PlayReady DRM. Welcome, Sumed. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to your audience. Hey, what happened to DRM anyway? That was such a big deal for a while. It, did everybody just give up? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it is interesting you should ask. Um, my entry into security was somewhat accidental. I started my career in multimedia. Mm -hmm. And at some point, there were threats from licensing studios that they won't let any audio or video play on Windows unless we did something to uh, make sure piracy doesn't happen. Right. right. Yeah. And that's how DRM was, in fact, born. It was not because we really wanted to, but it was um, because uh, it was a necessity to actually let the ecosystem flow. And in fact, that I wouldn't say it's gone. It's still there in many forms. So when you're watching um, streaming from any of these streaming video providers, right. there is DRM silently working under the hood. But I think what has happened is a couple of things. One, people have moved on beyond. There are many models that have evolved uh, where people have realized that, well, how about let the music just flow freely? Yeah. And there are ways to make money even with that. I think that, so some areas where DRM was applied overzealously, um, I think people are more pragmatic about it. Yeah, I think you're right about the music. That was really where it died. Uh, you know, people just, I mean, because music goes portable and, Portable doesn't do DRM very nicely, and nobody wants to be connected to the internet to do a check before you're allowed to play something that's on your own device. It's just kind of silly. But streaming video, I can see where that is obviously a win-win. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, the right DRM technology balances. We, we had a principle on our side when we built our DRM, which was if any one legitimate user trying to play music or videos gets denied the ability to play it, that's yeah. much, much, much worse than a pirate actually being able to steal. Yep. So our challenge that we were out to solve was how do you design this technology in a way such that anybody doing legitimate use it doesn't even know that it exists. Yeah. Now, 
I don't know whether or not we got there, but I think if you look today, the somewhere between the technology and how it is applied in practice, I believe we've got there. For the most part, I mean, if you're watching streaming video, you don't even realize that there's DRM happening under the hood and you want to watch it on another device, it just works. Yeah, that would be my argument now. It's not so much a DRM's gone away, it's that it's just less obnoxious than it used to be. You don't exactly. keep ramming into it. Exactly. Because I think the other side is true too, which is, and I certainly run into this being in Canada, where often there are locks on things that they don't identify as US only until you're way down the path. Mm. And, you, and then you do hit the wall and go, ah. Uh, and... Piracy is still prevalent, you know, the, the pirate bay is still out there. It is it, the thing you've got to concern yourself with as a content creator is, is the path to paying you as low friction as the path to stealing from you? Yeah. Cause if the easiest thing to do is to take your chances with pirate bay and BitTorrent, something like that, if that's the easiest path, more people are going to take it. Right. That's a great way to put it. Yes. All right. So what have you been working on lately, Sumed? So lately, my focus at Microsoft has been on the cloud side, uh, far cry from DRM. There, there are many different flavors of what I'm working on. One is more in the area of data protection. Almost every enterprise trying to move to the cloud is worried about, oh, well, this is outside my control and my traditional gates don't quite work. The traditional perimeter is just thrown out the window. It's no longer within my brick walls, within my network. And furthermore, it's not just the cloud. I mean, people are frankly moving bits around from one company to another all the time. And so yeah. right now, instead of the controls being at the network level and at the firewall and physical level, mm -hmm. they have moved all the way down to data, saying as long as the data flows encrypted and only the right people have the way to access it, um, then we can enable all of these other scenarios and let data flow freely wherever it needs to. And so. Out of that concern was born, well, uh, the encryption is only as good as the keys. Yeah. Uh, encryption is easy. There's tons of tools out there, but how do you manage the keys? And so there's been a ton of interest in key management, especially in the cloud. So people ask us all the time, hey, how can I ensure that my data stays encrypted all the time? How can I be in more control of the keys. And sometimes it's not just a security concern, it's also sometimes companies and in regulated industries coming where they just have to prove to their auditor that they follow certain practices when they right. came to the cloud. What, you mean I'm not supposed to try store my private key in the root folder of the web server? What? <laughs> hey, you never let <laughs> me laughing, have any I mean, fun. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing, but I mean, that's where we started, right? I mean, that the that was the Sony on, hack, right? Like in the end, yeah. they were able to literally get all the private keys from them because they were sitting in a directory. Right. Yeah. At that point, it doesn't matter how strong your password is. Yeah. Or your encryption. Yep. Exactly. I mean, it, I used to be, I used to live in a dorm and we used to have locks on our door, but everybody, when they stepped out of their dorm room, used to put the key on top of the door. Like, right. it's kind of pointless. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's one set of things that I am busy with. Um, there's another completely different problem domain, related but different, which is as developers build applications in the cloud, there have been a few paradigm shifts in the last three years. First um, is the first is that, oh, you're building in the cloud and 
you no longer actually manually deploy stuff. You continuously build, continuously deploy, continuously uh, continuously build, continuously test, continuously deploy. And in doing so, you want almost every application has secrets of some kind. You have connection strings, you have certificates, you have encryption keys, uh, passwords to other services, things like that. And the question is, where do I store them such that they can be retrieved by my build and deploy pipeline in an automated fashion? Right. Well, the first thing people do is, let me just store it along with the source code. Web.config. And exactly. And you can imagine what happens next. I mean, last year, I had done a query. Uh, things have got cleaned up a bit now. But last year, when I did a query on begin, up, begin private RSA key on GitHub, I found, I think, over 100,000 hits. Wow. Um, this time, when I did this Jeez. query earlier this week, it has certainly shrunk. Um, but some of that, I'm sure, is test keys, but a lot of that is production keys that people did not even realize because some hapless developer added something to a repo, and before they know it, somebody else cloned that repo, and it just went public. Right. Um, that is one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is, even if it's not public, the fact that it's in source code means ton of people around your company just have direct access and they make copies of it and they're not as diligent as the original folks are. And recently I heard a statistic that 80% of data breaches happen not because of the bad guys being smarter than you. They happen because you made some one-on-one mistakes in terms of just carelessness. That's it. Easy mistakes that just make you leave you exposed. Mm. I mean, this is why the script kiddies are so successful. Right. Very low-hanging fruit. And so if we could just make enough things to um, provide enough tools to help developers store and distribute their keys and secrets to their applications, that will go a long, long, long way in clamping down data breaches. Now, I just talked about security, but Let's the the first thing that people gravitate towards. Oh well, let me just encrypt my secrets with some other key, um, and I should be done. Right. But you can guess what's going to happen next. Encrypt security is just one part of it. A completely different problem with secrets is secrets are live assets. Certificates expire. Passwords expire. Yep. And sooner or later, your web service is going to have an outage. Mm-hmm. Microsoft has had its own fair share of services going down across the world because some certificate expired somewhere. Right. Yep. And so it's not just about security. If you want to take care of your secrets, you've got to think about their life cycle also and make sure that you have good control over renewing them um, in time. And if you want to renew them, if you want to renew all of them, it starts with first knowing what secrets you have. Yeah. And so centralizing the inventory, the directory of here's everything I have, here's where it went, super critical to be on top of your secrets. Because yeah. normally each secret is tied to a given application, right? You have this certificate installed in your exchange server or you have it installed on a web server and the web server knows it's going to expire. Right. But you have to go look at each of those places. Exactly. So as a developer, I should be able to just say, like, I need a certificate. It needs to be deployed in this particular place. Mm. But apart from that, the rest of it should just be automated under the hood. How that certificate gets provisioned, how the private key gets deployed to the servers, how it gets renewed. Really, I, as a human being, shouldn't have to worry about that at all. 
because humans make mistakes and that leads to big consequences and so that's our vision um, apart from security and outages there's another big problem a lot of enterprises are subject to compliance audits and every so often these folks in suits come over and ask you all kinds of questions saying hey do you know where all your secrets are mm-hmm. and do you know who all has access to them and show me that you are following certain standard rules like you are rotating your passwords every 7 weeks or whatever your period is and then people scratch their heads like oh how do i show them that proof how do i even tell them all the passwords i have and all the uh, certificates and so being able to generate these reports and being able to follow these rules in an automated fashion very very important recently i le- read some report that showed that while more and more people are getting through this compliance audits an increasing number of people are failing to keep it because guess what the next time a compliance audit happens oh somebody made a mistake yeah. and so security outages compliance all of this requires that you really really stay on top of your secrets and we've built this service called azure key vault and integrated it with many other services in azure to make this end to end flow very very automated mm. and so that way it behaves according to the rules you set and you shouldn't have to really worry you sit back and just let it function so from a developer perspective this part of what i do is probably the more relevant part uh the previous part of data protection and all that very important um uh, but that's usually the security folks in big companies that worry about that the thing about key vault that uh occurs to me is it's almost like last pass for your apps isn't it absolutely i mean that's a good analogy there's a lot of um secret management systems that are designed for human flows um what we didn't have really was a cloud scale platform as a service mm. so you don't have to manage it um service that manages your secrets yeah. and that's what keyword really is it's really, it, last pass for application cloud applications is an awesome way to describe it yeah that's cool dude nice one yeah so i mean you you do have to have the credentials to get into azure to be able to get access to where all these secrets are how do you map them does it have to be mapped to given services like uh, it only makes sense for me to have a certificate for a, a web server that's running in azure yes it does so great question so below every turtle there is another turtle and so one of our root <laughs> all the way down one of our root yeah one of our root services is azure active directory so right. that's the source of identity for all things cloud to be able to access your azure key vault as a human or as an application you need an azure active directory identity right uh applications can have identities too um most azure services have identities um and so in order to distribute these secrets from key vault to either other people or to other applications the first thing is to ensure that those guys have identities in azure active directory mm-hmm. second thing is to ensure that those identities are authorized so we have a permission system on key vault so you right. authorize those identities to be able to do specific operations um and those operations could include for things like passwords and connection strings it's like get me the value of that particular connection string if it's cryptographic key then we actually go one step further it's not just the automated management but we can actually do even isolation of the runtime so we have behind azure key vault 
hardware security modules. These are these little crypto devices. Think about it as crypto circuitry wrapped in explosive. Um, you can, it's like Hotel California. You can put a key in, you can't get it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anytime, anytime you need to do any crypto with it, you must ask this device, Hey, hey, here's my payload. Can you please decrypt for me? Or here's my payload. Can you please sign it for me? So that's the ultimate, um, where even breaches of your application don't lead to the key being revealed. That can only be done for cryptography keys. Um, so coming back though, uh, if you have an Azure Active Directory identity, you per- grant permissions on your keyword for specific operations, and those could be getting secrets, those could be putting secrets, those could be listing secrets, adding secrets, those could be um, adding keys, those could be decrypting or signing with keys, but not getting the key values. Right. So, so there's a wide variety of permissions that we have, and you granularly specify what each application can do with your specific secrets and let the machine flow from there. Mm. And this is something that really excites me because I often deal with organizations where we're contracting developers and they need to sign their assemblies, but I never want to give them the key because, you know, they'll move on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly how many enterprises work where the segregation of duty between the person who owns the key and the person who deploys an application and sometimes the person who operates the application. So what we've enabled here is that the person who owns the key, the key manager, can create a key vault, add keys, grant permissions to some application to use the key, mm-hmm. but the key never goes out of the key vault. Right. So now this other person can deploy the application, that application can use the keys, and therefore abuse the keys also if that application is hacked or sure. there is malware or bad code, but you cannot get the key value. Um, so you can have that separation of duty for sure, and that person leaves, and you you can choose to, at that point, even roll the key, but frankly, because the key was always hidden away, it's not super critical to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Now again, that's just for cryptography keys, for secrets, for the other half of the other half of the scenarios that I described. Um, those secrets eventually flow to the application. So in that particular scenario, there is no segregation between the person who created the secret and the person who deployed the application. That flow is targeting a different set of benefits, which is about the automation of the deployment and preventing silly mistakes and um, all of that. So depending on what asset you're storing in Keyword, we give different kinds of Mm -hmm. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to apologize for not having a joke today. It's uh, locked in the vault and I lost the key. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. You didn't have permissions to your own joke. I'd like to formally apologize. But uh, (laughs) it's actually time to give away an Infragistics Ultimate to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Ignite UI. Ignite UI is the complete HTML and JavaScript toolkit to build modern browser experiences on any device, desktop, tablet, or phone. Designed for the enterprise, you'll create high-performance, touch-first, responsive apps with Angular JS directives, bootstrap support, and Microsoft MVC server-side widgets. Check it out at igniteui.netrocks.com. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Dwayne McKibben from Gauteng, South Africa. Wow. Congratulations, Dwayne. Yeah. 
Golf clap for you, sir. That mug's got a long way to go. Yeah. And I just want <laughs> you to know, mug. I even looked up how to pronounce Gauteng. So yeah. hopefully I did that right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club, Dwayne gets that Infragistics Ultimate Collection. That's a $2,000 value from Infragistics. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. Okay, and now it's your turn, Sumed. If you had uh, $5,000 to spend on technology today... What would you buy? HoloLens. <laughs> of course. Wait, of course you, you work would. for the company. Don't they give you a HoloLens? <laughs> no. I actually they don't started do that. my career building uh, virtual reality <laughs> yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> and it's awesome how far the whole thing has come uh, in 20 years. And so, definitely looking forward to having one of those. <laughs> well, and I've been keeping an eye on the uh, coming out of CES the third-party mixed reality and virtual and, and augmented reality devices that are supposed to be running mm. uh, the holographic OS. So, yeah, I think the market's about to explode. This this coming Christmas should really be spectacular, I think. Well, Pokemon Go is a real wake-up call for the, the power of augmented reality and right on your phone, too. Yeah, they... Game was kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were not prepared for just the incredible volume of people who jumped onto yeah, it. Yeah, it just made AR so accessible to so many people. And I think it was the G factor, the wow, you know, I, I just gotta see it and experience it. Yeah. So what's that what's a HoloLens go for now? Three grand? Yeah. What are you gonna do with the other two? Yeah, I, I don't know actually. I think I would probably buy an Oculus also to go with it. There you go. <laughs> the full VR spread. Sure. Yes. Build a VR house. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And of course, the cool thing with the HoloLens, admittedly it's expensive, is it is self-contained. It's not like with the Oculus, you have to tie it to a PC. So it's a, it's a heck of a machine, heck of a device. I can't wait to see what comes next in that space. I'm excited mm. about it. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I want to dive back into this, uh, the Key Vault side, because I think it's it's still a little confusing of, this is not just certificates for your for uh, signing assemblies. What are the classes of secrets that we want to keep there? Um, so I think probably a, just a quick walkthrough of how you would use KeyVault might clarify sure. that question. So it all starts with having an Azure subscription. Azure Key Vault is one of the services that we provide as part of an Azure subscription, along with VMs, storage, SQL, and so on. Sure. And you can create one or more Key Vaults in your subscription. Each Key Vault is a container for secrets and keys. Generally, you would create one of these for every security boundary. So okay. if you have, let's say, five different applications designed to churn on different data, you would create five keywords. It's also a, a region boundary of sorts. We generally advise that if you're deploying um, the same application in, let's say, five different regions, five different data centers, try to keep all your dependencies in the same region. That way, 
you maximize the availability of your um, uh, application. And so you right. create five different keywords. Now, within each keyword, you start adding the secrets that you want your application to have access to. Those secrets uh, have, there are some strongly typed secrets, and then there is a catch-all for everything else. So the two strongly typed secrets that we support at this point are keys and certificates. Okay. So you can ask Keyword to generate a key, cryptography key, RSA 2048-bit key for you. Yeah. Um, and if you ask that, we will generate it on an HSM for you using the HSM's random number generator. You can also ask Keyword to generate an entire certificate, so a private key and a certificate uh, with it. And then you have choices within that. You could ask us to generate a self-signed certificate. So we will generate the key pair and the certificate around it. Or you could hook up your keyword with some number of certificate authorities. We currently integrate with DigiCert, GlobalSign, and DTrust in Germany. And so then you could say, hey, generate me a key pair and go out to this particular certificate authority and get me a certificate. I think it's interesting that Microsoft has not become a certificate authority. Like, yeah. wouldn't that be a logical thing to do? Well, you could think that that's logical. Um, but the reality is that most of our customers, I mean, we cater to a worldwide set of customers. We sure. cater to many enterprises. And they have sometimes relationships with ex other companies. They sometimes yeah. have regional restrictions, like customers in Germany, shall use German CAs. Right. And so I don't think that we can really scale. I mean, being able to handle all these particular, all these scenarios is next to impossible. So we do love our certificate authority partners. We want to see that ecosystem grow. Uh, Let's Encrypt is also awesome. Um, like all of these, all of these CAs are satisfying different segments of the market. Right. And, Unless unless they really get in the way of the customer scenario, generally Microsoft approach in Azure has been, look, make make customers happy in using Azure. Now, in doing so, if there are partners that actually are doing an awesome job, don't get in the way. Stay out. Just make the end-to-end -end scenario work. So, so far, that hasn't been... There are some areas for improvement, but I think those are things that we can improve in the existing ecosystem. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to just sort of stay out of that because you can't do it all, right? Exactly. And so you, coming back, what kinds of assets? You can generate keys, you can generate certificates, you can bring in your own keys also. Apart from those two strongly typed assets, there are there is a catch-all called secret type for everything else. So almost every cloud service has some kind of credential that you need to access that cloud service, an API key or a password or a certificate or something like that. Right. So those credentials you need, your application needs in order to access those other services. So this is your app logging into SQL Azure, that kind of thing? Exactly, a connection string to talk to SQL. And it doesn't just have to be Azure services. Many applications talk to external services. It might be right. Twitter that your application talks to to automatically tweet. Maybe your application is a bot that tweets right. and you have a username and a password. Right. So you, for all of these other kinds of secrets, we have a catch-all bucket called secret, for lack of a better word, uh, which is just any 50 ki kilobytes of data, and you can dump it in there. Um. And we will, as 
particular uh, types of secrets become more and more prevalent, uh, we will pro- provide strongly typed secrets around those as well. For the strongly typed secrets, we provide a little more value than just storing and retrieving. For certificates, like I said, we integrate with CAs to get you certs. We automatically renew that cert uh, when it's about to expire. We send you a reminder saying, hey, this is about to expire, so whatever action you wanted to take. Mm-hmm. So, so far, to recap, you created your Azure subscription, you created one or more keywords, you added all your secrets in, you set the policy on it to auto-renew as needed. The next thing is to set permissions. Who should access which secret? So now you want to be able to lay down, okay, who are the people in your org who are going to be the managers of this? So you might, the people who are really trained on your practices saying, hey, we need to all, we need to be compliant with ISO or PCI things and we need to follow certain processes on how frequently we rotate, train them on what they need to do and they will then be the managers of this particular keyword. So you give them little more permissions like the ability to list secrets, the ability to uh, add secrets, rotate secrets and so on. You know, I, I feel like you're running into this issue of meta permission, right? Where you have... Uh... Uh, a, a permission store that grants permission to people to access and control secrets. <laughs> is there any is there any best practices around dealing with that kind of stuff? Um, that's a great question. I mean, at some point we might actually turn this into some role based uh, and define strong roles. But right now we've kept it very simple. I think maybe with the combination of Key Vault and Identity Server, you might have. Uh, some really interesting applications. That's right, actually. So, in fact, at the Azure subscription level, Azure Active Directory supports some built-in roles like subscription admin, subscription contributor, subscription leader, and there are some best practices about who you assign to each. Once you get down from the subscription to individual resources like Key Vault, um, on their interfaces, generally that RBAC doesn't get down because now you get into the realm of sometimes very, very custom operations. Um, so right now, we've started with a flat list of operations and a flat list of permissions, and then you can mix and match. And we have guidance and some best practices, but not really a formalized set of rules. Yeah. One of, one of the entities that will have access to your keyword is the applications that those secrets are designed to flow to. But those probably have the most restricted permissions of all. Yeah. And those are purely... Um, kept secret or maybe decrypt with a particular key. And then finally, beyond all of that is the auditor role. Every organization has, you will, once you're mature enough, you will run into the case where periodically somebody has to, somebody other than the application developer has to peek in to make sure you're doing your right right thing there. And that auditor role may not be a human being. It might be just a, another application that's generating reports for you and just automatically checking against certain rules. But Logically, it's an auditor role. And so those probably don't need access to the value of the secrets, but they do need access to list secrets and list the metadata. Uh, like, hey, when was this last rotated? Who has permissions to these? And when was the last time you rotated permissions and things like that? All of this is tied to Azure Active Directory. So some things you get for free. Um, if your employees leave the company, you're kicking them out of your Active Directory. And the moment you do that, within hours, as soon as everything propagates, uh, they lose access to the keyword. So that's one of the beauties of this. Um, I should also call out that 
not everything should belong to a key vault. Our philosophy yeah. is that if you have secrets, then first ask, do you even need that secret? Um, in many cases, uh, what Azure has done is where, where at all practical, we've said that, look, let's not create yet another API key paradigm for these particular services. Let's just directly support Azure Active Directory. And so if you have an Azure Active Directory identity, you can just directly access that. And you don't need yet another account key or password or connection string uh, that you that's floating around and untracked and so on. And so uh, since we mentioned Azure Active Directory, I just wanted to throw that out as well. Okay, sure. Right. Um, so now that you have set up the, you've, you've got a subscription, you added your secrets in it, you set the policies for renewal, you set the permissions on it, and the last part of this is configuring your application with the URI of those secrets. And in your web.config, typically, instead of now pasting the value of the secret, what you would have is the URI to the secret. So when your application launches, it picks up that, val- that URI and says, oh, uh, my Twitter password is actually at that URI. So let me go HTTP get that URI. Um, to be able to do that, first you need to log in to Azure Active Directory to get a token, because otherwise you cannot talk to keyword. Well, that needs a certificate. Where do you get that certificate? Now, Azure Platform has that seeding built in. So there is a bootstrap secret, which is a certificate that logs you into Azure Active Directory. Azure bootstraps your application with that certificate. You use that to log into Azure Active Directory. Once you get a token, you talk to Keyvault and then get the rest of the secrets that you need um, based on your web.config. Yeah. And off you go. Now you're ready to use those secrets. And once in a while, your application might find that that secret doesn't work anymore. Because why? The guy who owns the key vault has probably rotated it and said, right. hey, yeah. seven weeks, we got to rotate this password. It's easy enough to account for that. In your application, you say, well, this, pass- this password doesn't work. Let me refresh the secret. You don't have to redeploy the application to make that happen. Um, so that way, what we have done is essentially make secrets a dynamic living thing that at runtime keeps changing and you keep retrieving and um, it just works end to end. Given a choice, would you rather use a client certificate over a username password? Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, again, it depends on the scenario. Like if I'm a human being... Obviously, I need a password, and right. I hopefully will MFA it. Um, most people, uh, mo- uh, not I wouldn't say most, but enterprises typically federate Azure Active Directory down to their on-premises Active Directory, and right. they do whatever authentication there is, smart card-based and all of that. If it's an application, absolutely, I would choose a certificate. Because like I said, if you have certificates, the Azure platform, the Azure App Services platform, the Azure VM platform, um, all of these platforms have built-in mechanisms to take a certificate from a key vault and bootstrap your application with it. If it's a password, where would it put that password? I mean, right. there well, are well-known paradigms on where you deposit that certificate. Right. Always the best way to do that. And so for those kinds of certs, am I going to a third-party uh, certificate authority, or is it better just to use a self-sign? What's what's the preferred practice for a client-side cert? So for a client authentication certificate, in the vast majority of scenarios, a self-signed certificate is good enough. Right. Because there, the trust in the certificate is not really based on where it chains up to. 
but it's based on the fact that you registered that thumbprint somewhere else. Right. So it's a directly based trust rather than a PKI chain based trust. It's your app talking to your server, you know, fine. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And so that, and there's just no cost associated with this. In some ways, do, going down this path is just going to make everybody better at working with certs anyway. That is right. Um, the Azure Key Vault has a very nominal charge for it. It's per transaction. It's three cents for every 10,000 transactions. And Azure doesn't even charge if it's less than a penny. So the vast majority of people, when they use Key Vault, they don't even notice it on their bill because, frankly, if it's if you're just Every time your VM comes up, you're retrieving like 20 secrets. Right. And you're doing way below 3,000 transactions in a month. And you don't, it's, it doesn't even show up as a line item on your bill. So is it, is it for every login it would represent a transaction? Or is it just when the service starts up and it gets its secrets out? It's every API call on the keyword service that constitutes okay. a transaction. So adding right. a secret is a transaction. Retrieving a secret is a transaction. Three cents per 10,000. Yeah, you, you'd be lucky you get to a quarter. Like, it's just not, it's trivial. Exactly. Um, now, if you're using keys, and most developers don't do this. Well, every developer has secrets, but not every developer has cryptographic keys. Right. If you are doing encryption and you have a cryptographic key, for production purposes, we recommend generally put that key in a hardware security module. And if right. you choose to do that, then there's a charge per key of a dollar per month. Uh, but even that is peanuts compared to if you were to really, uh, if you were to buy your own hardware security module. So oh, for sure. for most, most enterprises, they ask and they're like, what? That's all? <laughs> and they go away. <laughs> <laughs> and this is really be per certificate, per app kind of thing. Is what what you'd actually put in the HSM? Uh, you could say that sometimes secrets and certificates and keys are shared across multiple applications by yeah. design. But yeah, where possible, you should segregate it per app. Yeah, I, my my reflex is to segregate them key per app yep. kind of mindset. But uh, or but you know where where it gets interesting when you get talk start talking about backend services where that service has a key which multiple apps may use. But in in the end, it's the ownership of the key that matters. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not, not, I don't want to be mean here, but as a guy who's dealt with a lot of enterprise infrastructure, the certificate software that Microsoft provided has been unpleasant to use. Like it has been hard to run your own certificate store and things like this. This seems so much more coherent than the battles I had with certificate services a few years ago. Yeah, they're really trying to solve two very different problems, though. So in some ways, you could think about a key vault in an Azure subscription as an analogy of a certificate store in an operating system. Yeah. Uh, Linux doesn't have one, but Windows has a certificate store. And mm -hmm. there's a, there are, there are client-side tools on Windows to let you get a certificate, store the certificate, and so on. You could think of key vault as really that, and it doesn't get in the realm of certificate issuance. So it's a very different set of problems. When you get to certificate issuance, boy, it's a completely different set of challenges. Oh, yeah. And getting them installed properly, referencing them properly, like it's hard. Mm. Yeah. And, and we did we did a survey at one point about Microsoft actually gives out the certificate services role in Windows for no additional price beyond the cost of Windows. Yeah. Uh, but still, people end up paying a significant amount, like 
half a million dollars or so to stand up their PKI. Yeah. And we were like, okay, where are people spending all of that? And some of that is just the hardware. Some of that is the personal. Uh, like you said, like a PKI, an expert PKI admin is yep. often required to run the whole thing. And you said you had your own battles. And we were like, why is a PKI admin really required to do this? Because we have integrated the stuff end to end with a lot of things such that it should just, if you set up your group policy in AD, it should just work out of the box. And yeah. while what we came to the, 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 there is some parts of it that can be solved with technology and we can make it more and more automatic. We also realized that a large part of this is frankly just the complexity of the scenarios. Yep. What are you trying to do? And what's the right kinds of certificate policies that you need to put in place? And uh, how do you like? How do you express that? That is half the battle, and that's what really requires the expertise, and that's hard to automate. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's not a bad thing to have a yeah. third party pair of eyes just go over your certificate strategy. This is what yeah. we're going to secure. This is what we're worried about. Here's how we're going to manage them. You know, somebody who works on that stuff every day. I mean, I've done a fair bit of it. I still reference experts. Yep. Because there are new tools, there are new techniques. Hey, you know, watch this key that, you know, this one seems to be getting more compromised. We're, we're focused on, on 4K, uh, PKIs now, like that kind of thing that just that checkup with an expert, it, it, you make your, you know, nothing worse than getting the whole thing done. And then it gets cracked right away because you use the wrong key. I gotta admit, I gotta <laughs> admit, this is definitely the realm of, expertise of other people in my organization i didn't you know i always rely on other people who are have their head in it day to day because you're right the stuff we used to do just last year is changing is different yeah i think where the world is moving is wherever possible really i mean if i if i want to build a website do i must i really care about certificates it, it it's it's one of those details that i would rather it just work automatically. Yeah, I agree. And so, so wherever, wherever possible, we will continue to make this just automatic and seamless and it doesn't even show up for you. Um, but that's only one slice of scenarios where you can automate the whole end-to-end. So this is one example. Uh, in fact, the Azure app services, uh, if you're building an app service, then the whole end-to-end of you just say, just bill me for this, but Azure App Services on your behalf will just go get, not only go get a certificate, store it in Key Vault, but also it's fairly trivial to just bind it to your Azure application. Um, it's somewhat like what Let's Encrypt is trying to do with in a different scenario. So, I mean, the idea is that end-to-end, all I really need to show is somehow proof of ownership of the domain, and beyond that, the rest should just hot, happen automatically. Right. So that's a slice of scenarios where I think there is some hope we can automate end-to-end. Uh, but then there are other scenarios where, oh, I need client certs because I need to talk to this other service that takes client certs as um, authentication. And, well, I need to very carefully manage when I roll this over because guess what? There is a thumbprint that I must also roll over. Uh, hey, and then there are user certs that I must manage. And the user certs, get assigned to users on a variety of devices that have various flavors of support for various protocols. And how do I stand up a PKI that works on my company, outside the company when my users are on the road? It's just the scenario is just mind-bogglingly complex. And 
I don't think that we'll ever be able to automate it all. Yeah. And I just renewed a, a certificate for one of my domains, and uh, I just had forgotten how much pain there was involved in that because I hadn't done it in a few years, you know? And I had to go into a VM that was running Windows server and generate a cert request and then paste that into a website, get the uh, response, finish that up, and then export it into a format that Azure could uh, take and upload it to Azure. And just figuring that stuff out all over again was just, ugh. How the heck does this work again? Yeah, but you know? that, that, yeah, that particular scenario is actually the good scenario. I think we can automate that. We are most of the way there. I think there's still some steps for improvement, but hopefully soon you won't have to even worry about that. That'd be great, <laughs> just personally. But uh, I, I'm really applauding all of the progress that's being done here on Azure. And uh, thank you so much for sharing with us uh, what you guys are up to and what we can look forward to. Thank you for the opportunity. I mean, part of my role besides building products is also a bit of activism, just letting people know about their, uh, hey, you have uh, these passwords and secrets over there. You should clean that up. And so I think if we could just spread the word and get people a little bit more disciplined, whether you use Azure Key Vault or a variety of other tools out there in the market, yeah, I think the world would be a much safer place if, if just people bit off that low-hanging fruit. Yeah, very good. Sumed, thank you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.